you know, there's a wonderful message for us and lessons for us in the early Ecclesia, the early Jerusalem Ecclesia in the book of Acts. And I hope that our consideration of the early Ecclesia and especially how there's this amazing parallel between the Jerusalem Ecclesia and with Psalm 2, that we will be able to grow in our faith in the word of God to be able to reconfirm ourselves with the fact that our God is real and he is active in the lives of those who are seeking him. And also one of the things that we find here in early Acts is that we receive confidence to not just believe his word and believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it gives us confidence to live his word. And that's what we see with our wonderful brothers and sisters in the early Ecclesia in Jerusalem. So I bring with me the loving greetings of the brothers and sisters at the Book Road Ecclesia from whence I come. That's in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And you know, it's very interesting. We just sang the beautiful words of hymn 94. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. And it was with that hymn that we began our memorial service this morning. So that was just a few hours ago, and it was wonderful to sing that together again with you. As a matter of fact, I believe we're using the exact same recording to come from uh, your parts uh, to lead our brothers and sisters in singing as well. So, well, what can we say about the early Ecclesia in Jerusalem? What we read in Acts chapter 1, that the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven, into Acts chapter 2, there was the, the explosion of the truth that came as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we leave off at the end of chapter 2, after the witness of Peter, that there are 3,000 souls that were added to the Lord. And now we come to Acts chapter 3 where we read about Peter and John going up into the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and they find a lame man. Now, it's wonderful to consider these things because these are accounts which we've probably known for a very long time. And the beautiful thing about the truth is that the more we look at these scriptures with which we're so familiar and we think we know so much about, if we just slow down and take the time to have a look, there's so much else that can be revealed to us when we, we think about his word and we talk with our brothers and sisters who are studying these things as well. And these are those things that give us encouragement. We know this story. Peter and John finding this man who was lame from his mother's womb, Acts chapter 3 at verse 2, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look at us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. And did he ever give him something? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, the apostles who were being directed by the Holy Spirit at this particular time, as they were throughout all of their ministry, 
it was important that this particular miracle would take place. And the amazing things about the miracles, not just of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also of the apostles that we read about, is that it's not simply about doing an amazing, miraculous work to make people uh, simply awestruck at what they saw. It was to inspire a response, but it was also to teach specifically. And this is the perfect miracle to do, to try and preach and prove the standing again of the Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection, the word means standing again, to now make this man stand up again. And look what it says in verse 7. Now, Peter could have done whatever. He could have simply commanded him to get up, but he does something extra. It says that he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And we read later on that all these people, it says in verse 11, that the lame man who was healed, he held Peter and John, and all the people ran together under them and into the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. So one man who's never walked before by the Holy Spirit, by the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and the power that has been given to Peter and John, he stands up for the first time, starts running into the temple, and a whole bunch of uh, onlookers run into the temple as well. Such an amazing picture to get in our minds about this. But this was all about proving the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, that's clearly the point here. He says, rise up and walk to the man. That's what he said in verse 6. And in verse 15, in witnessing to the people, Peter says, you have killed the prince of life, who God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So this was meant to specifically prove the resurrection. And I think that it's, it's even more than that. What Peter and John were doing, and what Peter was doing in reaching his hand out and lifting the blind man, or excuse me, the lame man, was actually a reenactment of what it was that God had done to his son. Just turn over a little bit into Acts chapter 5, because what follows and from Acts chapter 3, the rest of chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5, is a direct result of the preaching that had um, taken the people and had converted so many of the people and was causing a problem for the, the kings of the earth at that time and um, the people of Israel and their judges. And in Acts chapter 5, after the second time they've been silenced, by the Sanhedrin, or at least attempted to be silent. It says in verse 29 of Acts 5 that Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Now listen to this. Him hath God exalted with his right hand. Him hath God exalted with his right hand. So everybody would have been talking about how that miracle happened. Word would have gotten out from those that had witnessed, who had been there, had seen these things, and they would have asked, well, what, what exactly happened? Well, Peter and John, these two men, were going up to the temple to pray, 
he thought he was going to receive alms, and all of a sudden, Peter puts his right hand out and lifts him up. That's exactly what it was that God had done to his son. And it gave witness of the resurrection in a very powerful and, uh, and specific way. It was a parable that was being exhibited in that healing of this lame man. And so all of this incredible conversion that was taking place at this time and the seeds of the truth that were being sown, not just in the hearts of the members of the Jerusalem Ecclesia, but also throughout all of the Roman world, because we read in Acts chapter 2 about how there were people from Pentecost from all over the Roman Empire, Jews, proselytes from all over the place, all over the empire. But we start to focus into what's happening to the Jerusalem Ecclesia and the, the persecution that they experience at this time. And that's where Psalm 2 comes in. Because it's in the middle of this persecution that the Ecclesia at Jerusalem offers a prayer, a spirit-inspired prayer that was offered in unison. It's so interesting. It's so singular, it seems, in the scriptural record. We'll come to that passage now because this is going to introduce us to Psalm 2 as it relates to the Jerusalem Ecclesia. So verse 23, the apostles now have been let go to go back to their own company. They go right back to the brothers and sisters and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. This is verse 24 now. So they were threatened by the chief priests and the elders. And it says that when they heard that, this is the Ecclesia, having received Peter and John, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So that is the quotation from Psalm 2, cited from Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. And they interpret it in verse 27. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. That's an incredible prayer to just offer in that particular way. Spirit-inspired, offered in unison, it appears. And it's a direct connection to Psalm 2. So I think what we need to do now is we're going to look at a couple of slides. Have a look at the psalm in this particular way. Now, as I'm looking over here, okay. So if you have a look at the top left, 
this is just a breakdown of the psalm because I think it's really important for us to understand the speakers in this particular psalm. So feel free to turn in your Bibles or just have a look up on the screen at the breakdown of this wonderful psalm. And as we're reading, just think about how it is that it relates to the Jerusalem Ecclesian from what you understand about it. So anything in white is David in the spirit. Anything in the light pink color, this has to do with the words of those who are opposing Yahweh and his anointed enthroned on Zion. Blue are the words of the Father, and yellow is the spirit of Christ in the psalm. So verse 1 of Psalm 2 says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now verse 7. Now these are the words of the Son in spirit. This is the spirit of Christ in the psalm. I will declare the decree. Well, what is this decree? Well, the decree is what the Lord, this is what the Father, this is what Yahweh has said to the Son. And here it is. Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy profession, for thy possession, excuse me. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. So now this is the narrator again, the, the inspired narrator. This is David, as we know, in spirit. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So it's really important to see this, brothers and sisters, and in particular, focusing on uh, verse 7 here. I will declare the decree. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. This day have I begotten thee. So this is, this is the crux of what we're talking about here. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit is saying. And it makes for a very interesting study when we have a look at the early Jerusalem Ecclesia and incredibly comforting as well. Now, for those of you who are so uh, inclined and interested in these things, I had a little look um, after looking at Psalm 2 on what some brethren suggested to be the center of Psalm 2, if you were to break it down chiastically. 
So I, I, I know chiasms can be a very polarizing thing. I'm very sorry. I find them incredibly interesting. It's almost impossible for me to find them. But when I do see them, I am in awe of them and I love them. And after I found that, I believe verse seven, and in particular, I will declare the decree. I found that to be the most important part of the Psalm. And when I looked at um, a website that a number of brethren, I believe in the UK are working on right now to as a storehouse for these chiasms, apparently verse seven is the center of the chiasm for Psalm two. That's one of the suggestions that's been made. So I thought that was very, that was very encouraging. It's always dangerous to check those things right before you, you give a class because you never know which, uh, which, where the center is going to fall. We're going to have a look over here at Psalm 2. And I'm going to try and break this down as simply as I can and not go too fast. If I do go too fast, you do have the handout there with you. So just give me one moment here. Okay, so this is the prayer of the Jerusalem Ecclesia. So here's the first theme. In Psalm 2 for sure, uh, there is this. So on the top, we're going to have the book of Acts. On the bottom, we'll have the psalm. In Acts chapter 1, it says, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now that's a phrase we're going to be coming back to toward the end of our class, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Because this has to do with the apostles being witnesses, and it was to begin in Jerusalem, that work of witness was, the city of the great king. And so that's exactly the setting of Psalm 2. I've set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So in the slides that look like this, that are white and have a theme right across the middle of it that ties both of the verses together, uh, this is where I'm going to give a little bit more detail. This is just a practical point for everyone. And then on slides like these, this is actually going to be something that probably would be situated a little bit easier in your margins. It's a way to summarize the previous points. So there we have it, Jerusalem, the city of the great king, Acts chapter 1 and Psalm 2. So that's just how we'll be organizing um, our presentation. So here are a couple of artists' uh, representations of what the temple complex looked like back in the first century. Uh, really interesting to see what people have done with these, uh, including the work of uh, Brother Lane Rittmeyer, who I believe actually was a part of some of this work that's been going on, and I'm not sure about the status to that work, but this is a 3D computer animation model of the temple walkthrough, and it's pretty incredible. And here's another depiction of the city of Jerusalem, in particular, the temple complex in the city of Jerusalem with the fortress of Antony in the back, the temple in the middle, and all of the areas where it would be that Jesus would sit and teach, and where the apostles would come to stand as a witness to the resurrected Christ and preach during the days of the early Jerusalem Ecclesia.
And so the early portions of Acts, including this healing here, all about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, central to our faith. This Jesus, Peter said at Pentecost, just before the account that we read about in Acts chapter 3, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. And right after healing the lame man, he says that you killed the prince of life who God had raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now, what's incredible is that if we've never looked at this verse in this particular way, Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2, verse 7, the decree I have highlighted down here, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So this is really what we want to focus on. This is, brothers and sisters, the decree. So two questions about it. Number one, how do we know that this is talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to immortality? And number two, when does the Lord Jesus Christ ever say this? Because we can look all the way through and Jesus never really declares this decree. We found that we, we will find as we go through that it is the role and the responsibility and the absolute privilege of others to declare this decree. And that's part of the incredible secret to this verse. So first, if you could turn with me just to a couple of passages. The first one is in Romans chapter 1. This phrase here, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, has everything to do with the resurrection from the dead. A couple of good verses for our margin here. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul introducing himself to the Romans, speaking about his commission, which is concerning the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection from the dead or out of the dead. This is Jesus resurrected and receiving immortality, declared to be the Son of God with power. That's Romans 1, 3, and 4. There's another great one in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 5. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. The greeting of John the Apostle. And he says, this greeting is also from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. So there's a, a clear connection to Psalm 2, because Psalm 2 has everything to do about the, the sovereignty, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over the nations. And it's based upon the fact that he has been raised again from the dead. This is the decree. Thou art my son, the first begotten of the dead. So that's, that's what Psalm 2 has to do with. And that's one of the reasons it's so incredibly knit together with the experience of the Ecclesia in the first century as this gospel initially went out, beginning at Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So 
for following like a Bible box template here, we have the preaching of the resurrection, Acts chapters 2 and 3 in particular is what we've focused on. And we've seen that the decree, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, has to do with the resurrection to immortality of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what was it that happened as a result of this preaching? They're hauled before the leaders of the Jews. And so they laid their hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day. And it also says that as well in chapter 5, that they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. And Psalm 2 speaks about this kind of restraint as well, this kind of imprisonment. But it has nothing to do with those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the opposite. It says that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And they say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So that's how, that's how it is that the world sees. And really, when we think about it, this is how we naturally, speaking about the natural man here, respond to the decree of the truth. It's something that is is restraining. It's something that is not natural for us to want to submit to at all. And here in Psalm 2, the leaders are saying, we're, we're going to have absolutely nothing to do with this. And that's exactly how it was that the leaders of the Lord Jesus Christ today responded, and in the days of the apostles, and in all days ever since, in the days of human government upon the earth. And so what they try and do, because they're trying to cast away those cords, is they're trying to imprison the apostles. But look at that, look at this. This is great. This is one of those little inversions in, in what happens here between the psalm and between its fulfillment as it's seen in the early Jerusalem Ecclesia. It says that the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors. I just think that's the perfect answer to that. That's absolutely the perfect answer. They're trying to, they don't want to have anything to do with the bonds of the truth. They lock the apostles up. So the angel of heaven comes down and says, no, I'm going to let them out. I love that. I just think that's the perfect answer to what's happening here from the God of heaven. And so there was imprisonment. There's a great contrast between the experience in Acts chapter 4 and in Psalm 2. It's the apostles who were imprisoned. But God turns that on its head by sending his angel and taking them out and liberating them so that they could continue the preaching of the resurrection. Well, we read about Jews and Gentiles joining their power. We read it here in Acts chapter 4. The rulers, the elders, the scribes, you've got Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, the council, that's the Sanhedrin, and the people of Israel. And we have Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles. That's exactly what it says in Psalm 2. We have the nations raging, the kings of the earth setting themselves. And then on the other hand, we have the people of Israel and the rulers taking counsel together. So, and this really is the verse that, that knits together, um, that initially gives us the link between 
the early Jerusalem Ecclesia and Psalm 2 because it was this verse that we're looking at right now in Psalm 2 that the brothers and sisters offered as part of their prayer at that time in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the time when they were being imprisoned, at least the apostles were being imprisoned, and many others would follow that imprisonment later on in the the havoc that the Apostle Paul wreaked on the early Jerusalem Ecclesia at that time. So Jews and Gentiles join their power in the book of Acts, just as it says in Psalm 2. But the rulers are warned. But here, in the book of Acts, the rulers are warned, but the, the rulers return that warning back onto the apostles. They say, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? In Psalm 2, verse 10, it says, there's this warning to the rulers of the people of the earth to be wise and to be instructed. What's the response? In the Acts of the Apostles, stop teaching. The psalm says, be instructed. And the leaders of the earth say, we're not going to have anything of that. And I'll, I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, such a quick personal story about this um, a connection I had to this. Because I don't know what the custom is for um, your particular ecclesia or, or whether the, the, the UK might have a, a particular custom here. Um, but at our ecclesia, we tend to have Bible classes that focus around a particular book of the Bible. Now, that is to say, that's different from saying anybody can get up and just uh, speak on any particular theme that they'd like. For Bible class, at least we have a, a program working through a particular book of the Bible. We're, we're just wrapping up the book of Exodus, God willing, this coming Sunday, or this coming Wednesday, as a matter of fact. Now, when I received my assignment a number of years ago, I was asked to do Acts chapter 5, which is interesting because I had never studied Acts chapter 5 before or much of the context surrounding it. So this particular chapter fell to me. And I remember thinking a lot about the verse over here that you see on the top, where the rulers are straightly commanding that you should not teach in this name. So the apostles very confidently and faithfully respond to those challenges. And they say, you judge whether it's best to listen to God or listen to man. We cannot obey you in this way. And there's such a, a conviction and a confidence among them. And during the time that this was the assignment that was falling um, to me for Bible class, uh, the teachers in the part of Canada that I am from uh, decided that uh, they didn't like how things were going, and they were going to stop working and make it and, and pull back on, on some of the extra things that teachers would do. And that puts, as you know, brothers and sisters, um, those of us who believe that we ought to work faithfully for our employers in a difficult situation. And I remember, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I remember being very, very nervous about that. I was a new teacher at the time. And I was very uncomfortable with that. And I remember being nervous going into school, going into work, and just being generally unsettled. 
And I had right around the same time I had to sit down and focus in on this Bible class. And I'll, I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, it didn't erase all of my fear or of my anxiety. But I'll tell you what it did do. In, in reading this and talking to the brothers and sisters um, we have relationships with at the meeting and j just seeking counsel for how to deal with these things gave me a faith and a conviction that was greater than the fear that I had about it. That was bigger than, than the anxiety that I had with it. And so we're so thankful for these things. I remember being so thankful that it, it fell to my responsibility to cover Acts chapter five because I felt that it helped me so much personally. When we look at the example of the apostles here, um, and they just seem so confident, and I'm sure there must have been moments where they felt uh, timid and they felt not as strong as they should be feeling. But because of their faith, they were able to, to continue to make the right choices. And that is our daily ba battle, brothers and sisters. And just because we do fear in certain situations, we just have to make sure that our fear of God is, is something that's bigger and keeps motivating us to, to stick together and to do the right thing. And it, it really is hard sometimes. But I remember feeling very embarrassed about feeling that way. But the more we look at scripture, the more we realize that if we stay feeling like that and it paralyzes us for, from our action in a direction that is glorifying to God and helpful to each other, uh, that's the bad thing. That's the, the destructive thing. But we can take confidence in these things, these wonderful lessons for sure. So there's a warning to the rulers. Now, we're starting to get to some very interesting points in the Psalm too. Hopefully those points are, are very clear and very straightforward. And now we're going to see a, a very interesting theme, which is about the son's inheritance. Just before I put that up, uh, how should we set this up, brothers and sisters? When the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven in the book of Acts, as it's recorded in chapter one, he said that the disciples were to wait for the Holy Spirit and it would be given to them in Jerusalem. And Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit in different ways. And one of the places that he spoke about that was in John chapter 14, the night in which he was betrayed. And he says to his disciples there that talking about a future time that he would pray the father and he shall give you another comforter. Do you remember that? Now, what is that comforter? That comforter has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit for sure in the first century. And that's exactly what happened here in Acts chapter 2. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. When the brothers and sisters pray in the midst of their persecution in this ecclesia in Jerusalem, they pray, do you see what it says in verse 30, that God would stretch forth his hand to heal. And then as a response to that, it says that the place was shaken, just like it was in Acts chapter 2, and all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that have to do with the son's inheritance? It has everything to do with the son's inheritance. Because look at what it says. You see in verse 16 of John 14, I will pray the Father, and the Father would give the Holy Spirit. 
and the result would be stretching forth your hand to heal. Well, just, just follow me on this one, brothers and sisters. In verse 8, these are the words of God. Verse 8 of Psalm 2. These are the words of God to his son. He says, ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Ask of me. And Christ did ask the Father. Christ did pray the Father. And our Lord was able to send the Comforter so that the people who believed would become part of the Son's inheritance. And there would be Jews, there would be Gentiles as well. Psalm 2 speaks about the heathen becoming the inheritance as well, because the work of the Holy Spirit was to be a much greater part. But here's the interesting thing. Doesn't it say in Psalm 2 that thou shalt break them with a rod of iron? And it, it absolutely does say that. But the incredible thing is that under the inspiration of the Spirit, the brothers and sisters in the early Jerusalem Ecclesia did not pray that the rod, rod of iron would come yet because it wasn't yet to come. The rod of iron is yet to come in the future, as we'll see. So instead of praying for the hand of God to pick up the rod of iron, for the Lord Jesus Christ to pick that rod of iron up and dash them in pieces like a, pot a potter's vessel, they realized that this was the time now to stretch forth the hand to heal so that the preaching might continue and the work of the truth might grow and that the son's inheritance might be increased through faith before it is increased through force with the rod of iron. And isn't that what it said in Acts chapter 1, beginning at Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, then in the uttermost parts of the earth? And that inheritance, first of the Jews and then of the Gentiles, was to grow through faith first before ever it would become a reality through force in the kingdom age. And so there, the son's inheritance by faith first, as we see beginning to happen in the book of Acts. And we're just on the cusp in this early portion of Acts of the preaching beginning to extend into areas outside of the city of Jerusalem. And it was actually out of the very persecution of the Jerusalem Ecclesia that the greatest preacher to the Gentiles would come. Well, we also learned something that hopefully we know as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and as, as, and as young people as well, that there can be existing and there must be, there ought to be, the fear and the joy of the Lord existing within us at the same time. Perfect love does cast out fear. But I would suggest to you that it casts out the fear of man. This is the fear and the joy of the Lord existing together in the same hearts. It says in Acts chapter 2, at the result of the incredible conversion that took place at Pentecost, that fear came upon every soul, and they did eat their meat with gladness 
and singleness of heart. And then in Acts chapter 4, as a result of the prayer that was offered, that included a portion of Psalm 2 in it, it says that the place was shaken together, and the same result happened. They were all of one heart and one soul. So the fear and the joy of the Lord can can coexist together and must coexist together. That's exactly what the psalm says in Psalm 2. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's the command to the kings of the earth and the age to come. It's the command to everyone for all time who would come to the Lord Jesus Christ and become his inheritance either through faith or through force. To serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's the service that our God is looking for. There's no desire of our God to destroy. There's no pleasure to to destroy the wicked, as we know. The wicked must be destroyed, but it will not be before there are, the word goes out and the appeal to submit to the gospel goes out. But there will come a time for the iron rod, as we will see. So there, the fear and the joy of the Lord. And so we know also that not everyone will respond. We're living in the time now, brothers and sisters, where it is that the appeal of the gospel is still going out. Psalm 2 says, as we've just read this verse, verse 9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. It's like a potter's vessel. And that verse will be fulfilled, but it won't be fulfilled. It wasn't fulfilled back in the Jerusalem Ecclesia. It will be fulfilled in the future. Remember, in the Jerusalem Ecclesia, that was the time where God was stretching forth his hand to heal. But here, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 2. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. So that is something, this kind of power over the nations, this authority over the nations is not something that was enjoyed or exercised by the brothers and sisters in the Jerusalem Ecclesia. But it is a promise to everyone to participate in that if we remain faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ, just as he's received of his Father. And so there is the son's inheritance as well by force. So I hope that we've been able to see the the incredible comparisons, but also the, the, the contrasts from Psalm 2 to what we, we read in the early Jerusalem Ecclesia. And uh, brother, with your permission, um, my time here is 3.55, which means that your time must be 8.55, and I just want to find out for sure how much more time I have um, because I do have a couple more minutes. But if we are wrapping up, um, I'll just need one more passage. Well, Jay, I'm sure we could enjoy another few more minutes if uh, you'd like to give us those. Thank you. Okay. So there's something, brothers and sisters, that comes out of a study of 
this particular place that I find incredibly helpful and incredibly instructive. And that place is that I'd like to go is in Acts chapter 13. Now you might be saying, wait a second, this is first missionary journey. We're way outside of Jerusalem right now, and you're exactly right, but we're not outside of the scope of Psalm 2. We're going to see a couple of things here. We're going to see number one, the decree that is declared, and we're going to see who declares this very decree. So this is Acts chapter 13, the first missionary journey, and we are in Antioch, in Pisidia, I believe in the synagogue at this point, and this is the preaching of Paul and Barnabas. So look at part of the witness that is recorded for us here by what it was that these men spoke. Verse 30 of Acts chapter 13, but God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. Now listen to this. And we declare unto you the glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Did you see that in Acts 13? That's fantastic. That, that is showing us the apostles interpreting this psalm under the inspiration of the Spirit. So there's no doubt that the decree has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. So where Jesus in Psalm 2, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of our Lord says, I will declare the decree. It's the apostles who are part of his body who go out and who do that very work. And that's part of the teaching on the unity of the Spirit. So we just have another passage or so to have a look at. This is just by way of summary. I declare the decree and we declare. And there's another wonderful example here. And that is in, I'm just going to skip through this one. And this is also in the same place. So this is in Antioch as well. And the same principle is shown here, brothers and sisters. This is the preaching to the Jews and the Jews who were rejecting it this time. Paul and Barnabas wax bold and they say that it was necessary that the word of God should be first spoken to you. But seeing that you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles. And I'm reading the wrong verse than the one up, that's up on the screen. I apologize. That thou shouldest be for the salvation unto the ends of the earth. Here's why I have verse 32 up there. That was so anticlimactic. I'm sorry about that. The reason I have verse 32 up there is that the light to lighten the Gentiles was spoken about the Lord Jesus Christ himself by Simeon in the temple. It was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken of him. But when we look at this exact passage being quoted by Paul and Barnabas, 
He says that the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles. Well, is it talking about Christ or is it talking about Paul and Barnabas? And that's the beautiful message. It's both because they were in him. And if it's, it's true of us, if we are in him, the declaration of the decree, declaring the decree is not just something that the Lord Jesus Christ was to speak. It was something that was to be lived and taught the reality of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, the lesson for us is, are we declaring the decree in the way that we live, in our homes, in our families, in our ecclesias, and in the midst of the world which is antagonistic to us, to put it lightly? Are we declaring the decree? Have we become part of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just by taking on his name in the waters of baptism, but by the way that we're living our lives and following after him, living in newness of life? Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And brothers and sisters, I'll just leave one a quick slide up on the screen, which is um, something that you can have a look at. It's a number of additional examples of the unity of the Spirit that we see in the Father, in the Son, in the Apostles, in all of those who believe and put their trust in Him. And may it be that that day is, is upon us when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. And just as He's received of His Father... He will give unto us. 